0: episode 408 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode I chat to Felix Bohash of Broken Rules about the design and development of the infinite runner adventure game Gibbon Beyond the Trees. I like infinite runners. I remember and I do this a lot in these intros and maybe I should stop but I'm going to do it anyway but I do like recalling things from the past. There's a game in 2009 called Catapult Cannibalt, Cannibalt, where you have a little dude running across the rooftops of office buildings they're being crushed by giant alien robots. It was amazing, and people really liked it on their iPhones, and it was one of the earliest sort of iOS games that people fell in love with. You can buy it now on Commodore 64, of all things. However, we're not here to talk about the past. To talk about the present, and the present being, and a being a present, sort of, I Me mean, talking about uh, talking to to Felix about Gibbon Beyond the Trees, and this this is a game about flowing and moving and constantly making sure that you always are moving from left to right. And if at any point you're you're on the ground or you're not floating through the air through the trees, there's probably something wrong. You've probably done something wrong, and that's fine. That's fine, and we talk about this. And we also talk about many other things on this show. Now, I did have to do some audio clean-up uh, for, for the recording. i uh, not sure what was going on on Felix's end, but I think I did a pretty good job. Well, I was to say, Audacity did a pretty good job. I must stress they I only used that to uh, edit. I don't use it to record. That's insane. It's a bit buggy when it does that. It goes all whiffy. Anyway, nobody cares about that. What well, you do care is want to know about Gibbon Beyond the Trees and how it is made, don't you? That's why you're listening to this show. Of course you are. So, without further ado, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Felix about Gibbon Beyond the Trees. Chris, take it away. Felix! Hello! Hello. Who are you? What do you do? Uh,
1: yeah, so my name is Felix. Um, I'm co-founder uh, of a small Viennese independent game studio Called Broken Rules, Um, and we've been making games since 2007. Um, Mostly our own original games, Um, uh, and the company is running since has been founded in 2009. And most recently, we um, released a game called Gibbon Beyond the Trees on arcade, Switch, and Steam. You have,
0: which is why you're here. Yes. So, Felix, how did you make your start making video games then?
1: Um, well, I actually always wanted to be, like, well, always, no, at some point I wanted to be a photographer, then I wanted to be a graphic designer. I did play games, but, like, not super hardcore. I played a bit of LucasArts Adventures and early PlayStation games, um, Gran Turismo, some of the more quirky ones, like Rez or Vibribbon and things like that. Um, but, uh, I never wanted to make games, uh, when I was younger, actually. So, and then I, I applied for graphic design uh, university in the university of applied arts, uh, in Vienna okay. and didn't, didn't make it into, into the acceptance. I don't know what that's called in English, but I didn't get into it. So I thought, uh oh, for one year I'm gonna start studying. Computer science, because computers are the tools that graphic designers use, so it's good to know more about them. And basically, I got stuck with computer science because I really liked it. It was kind of fun to finally actually program. I never really, like, I think when I was younger, I always thought it would be my, I have a two years older brother, and I always imagined him to be the programmer, or he always was the one who did tinker with with computers or other stuff, and I would just watch. Well, so I studied computer science for three years. Um, and at the end, for our final project, for the final bachelor project, um, my favorite professor asked, like, who's interested in doing a game design project for their bachelor thesis? Um, and I immediately raised my hand and imagined that everybody in the in the hall would do the same in the room. But it was only a few people, um, interestingly. Um, and then I fell in love with computer games, I'd say, or with developing computer games. Um, we had a very nice small group of great people, like great students, but also great mentors. And they focused us really we- very well on the design and not so much on the technical stuff because, you know, on computer, and like computer science, a lot of it, it is always about optimizing and rendering and photorealism and 3D and so on. But they were really about, the design game design and telling us forcing us to be to do a 2d game um very uh a wise, very wise decision um um so and then we did a prototype called and yet it moves and uh that was peter christoph jan and i a four-person team that uh, did and yet it moves should i continue here or maybe i'm already bridging into your next questions.
0: that's fine no no you you've, you've, you've got it and i do i do know of that game
1: uh, it's, been, it's yeah. been
0: a while but uh yeah um and it's like it's interesting that you said it in computer science and people weren't wanting to to do video game creation because it's i believe it's perceived to be either too difficult or frivolous depends on your own point of view um but I think yeah. it's more on the sides of too difficult because it does <laughs> push the boundaries of two skills that are at odds of each other. You have the act of creation, a very creative industry, whereas in computer science, is very much methodical in terms of uh, everything is about logic. In fact, the whole yes. concept is just Boolean logic. It's all it's about. Uh, yeah. and they can clash with each other. So that's a ridiculous thing to perceive, but there is a perception that they are at odds with each other. So that may be why not many people put their hand up.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely more design heavy and more creative than a lot of stuff that usually is on computer science. Where I mean programming is creative in itself, but it's it's a different Yes kind of thing. It's like more logic, more mathematics, more mm. um structure. Yeah. Um I think that's definitely one thing. But I think that's also what I really liked about it because it showed me that it's so interdisciplinary. There's basically you, you have to take care of visual aesthetics, acoustics, stories, user interface, interaction design, um and uh programming. And it all kind of comes together. What I always kind of I think what I always found interesting, and seeing that all come together in this one form, was really what what uh, I liked about it, and why I stuck to it. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it pretty much brings us up today date because you this has reached a point where you started creating games, and then they. Were published, and that's really when your your foundation is. And you gave us a bit of history uh, of of uh, broken rules, and you know how it all started uh, way back in that auspicious year of two thousand and seven, which is a year that's often mentioned in this show because everything changed on that. Ah,
1: yeah, that's that's right. We were yeah. really, at, I think, we were at the right time with the right product uh, at the right spot, um, because with and yet with our and yet it moves prototype we were. Invited to be part of the GDC to the IGF student showcase. So, yeah, the United yeah. Games Festival student showcase. And, like in the beginning, we just wanted to make a prototype that we might add to our CV and then we start applying for jobs at different game development companies. But being at GDC in 2007 was very, very motivating. That, uh, yeah independent game scene was so was still a bit smaller and it was they were very very welcoming and helpful and we just realized that it's people like us that are actually making these games and are actually putting it out. And with Steam just rising and digital distribution coming up, it seemed like a great moment to actually start doing our games. And then I also really remember it was um like there was Press interested in our game. Other developers, there was like the developer of Tetris, I forgot his name, who actually played our prototype, which was kind of like mind blowing that this actually happened. And we watched him play our game and he enjoyed it. So we really came back with this big motivational boost and said, okay, now we're going to turn this prototype into a full game and yeah. start a company with
0: it. Yeah, it's an amazing time. People take it for granted, but it changed everything. Those two or three years in 2007 to 2010, just everything changed for the better, I think. The better,
1: ah, uh, yeah. I'm not so sure about that. Some of our dreams from these days have not come to fruition, if that we say. True, what they've
0: been, that's yeah. true,
1: that's true. But there is still a lot of good stuff happening. But yeah, yeah I'm still a bit wary for the future.
0: Oh, me all crikey. <laughs> 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 but, um, next question then is, um. This one's a bit nebulous, a bit difficult to pin down. Okay. But I think it's important to ask you this because the type of titles you make, uh, this would be a really interesting answer to this question, at least I hope, is um, what do you believe your biggest influences are?
1: Biggest influences, mm. like biggest inspirations.
0: Yeah, um, things that you find yourself orbiting more than anything else and, and drawing from.
1: Well, it's definitely... There, it's definitely stuff that's more outside of games. Yeah. Um, and one thing is definitely nature and animals. So for two of our games, um, three of our games, actually, um, so there's Chasing Aurora, which came out in 2012 on the Wii U. Uh, it's a local multiplayer game where you kind of play, what's it called? Tag. You play tag as with birds. And Secrets of Reticon, um, both of these games are inspired by the dream of flight. Basically, they're inspired by watching ber- birds fly and thinking it would be so cool to fly like a bird. Um, and Secrets of Retic- Reticon is also about the balance of wilderness and human civilization. And Gibbon, our latest game, is inspired by the movement of Gibbons, because I've seen Gibbons... I have three kids, and when I went to the zoo, gibbons were always my favorite animals there because of the way they move. And then I started watching videos of them and falling even more in love with them and their agility and their—I don't know—elegance, I guess. So I, I one of the inspiration, the, the core inspiration for gibbon was how cool would it be to swing like gibbons through the jungle? Um, yeah. yeah. So that's definitely a big part. Um but then we try to look closer at things. So for both Oldman's Journey and Gibbon, it was basically Clemens Scott and me who came up with the concept core concepts of the game. And so I came to Clemens and told him about how cool it would it be to make a game with Gibbons that move the where you move you're a play given and you move through the jungle like those uh, magnificent creatures and then we started researching researching and realizing that there's more to the story and as soon as that happened we knew we 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 want to take into the game serious topics like habitat loss deforestation that come from the real world so reality is definitely a big inspiration i'd like i like to call our games. Naturalistic, in the sense that they are inspired by the real world, but they're not simulations. They're still always stylized, stylized, and abstracted and focused. But they draw from a very clear inspiration that comes from the real world, um, and usually that's kind of a landscape environment kind of thing like for gibbons obviously it's the southeast asian jungle for oldman's journey it was um like the mediterranean area italy greece south of france um that we know of as tourists and it really has this very touristy view on this landscape and that's always a big inspiration that we so we we kind of designed puzzles and then we look at the real world and we try to combine those so that these puzzles feel natural in the, in this landscape yeah um yeah and and in the end it's really all about making games that um, that people keep in their minds right that, that that linger on in their minds after they power down their device and that, that get them thinking about certain topics that i find interesting or worth thinking about that's my end. That's like my end
0: goal. That's a fantastic, fantastic thing to be inspired by. By you know, I do like watching videos sometimes on on YouTube or or on on, on Twitter or something, where it's just a, uh, an animal, some description, not hunting for food, not trying to mate or sleeping, but just messing about, just yeah. just messing about. Like you know, there's pictures of like crows getting on little plastic discs and then sitting on the disc. And riding down the slope of a, a snowy sort of a snow-covered yeah. roof, and then they pick it up and do it again. Like, what do you what do you do? There's there's no. Play. That's I'm, play. I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around. And people go, wait, animals just... but yes, 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 they do. They do. And it's a
1: very natural instinct. Yeah, is. both of animals and of us humans as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So people think that they just do three things, you know, sleep, eat, and um, the other thing. But no. They don't. Granted, they take most of their, or most of their existence is that, but there are other things as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's just uh, our connection with our fellow fellow animals, and they are fellow mm-hmm. animals by the way. Uh, they are. Yeah, we are I, an animal as well, yeah, yes. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, we must always remember that. So, next question. It's a fantastic answer, by the way. No, it's, uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's really good. Because I've had a lot of guests stumped by that one, but well done, Felix. you you pulled it off with, with a plum, as they say. Um, next question then. What video game developer do you admire most and why? What video
1: game developer do I admire most?
0: Yeah. Who do you point okay. to and say, um, they're good? They, they're doing good things?
1: Uh-huh. Well, there's a couple of one. I, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. say there's. Not just one. The, You've got you, to you have several. Yeah. Yeah. For Aldmer's Journey, a very big inspiration was uh, Monument Valley. Um, Ken Wong, the lead designer, did a talk on Monument Valley's design pillars, and we basically copied at least two or three of of, of those <laughs> four or five we had. Um, and like, and the way they looked at creating a game for mobile, in a sense, was really inspiring for us on on Old Journey, and things like. The experience is more important than the gameplay, which is something that was very important for us for Ole Miss Journey as well, because we also wanted to cater to a bigger audience that is not just the, the hardcore gamer or the gamer. Maybe that's, that was also the strength of the App Store back then, right? Is that you had millions of people who never play games or would never consider themselves as gamers have this device in their hand that they can play so we really wanted to cater to that um, another was like 60 to 90 minutes is enough so you can just make a short but very meaningful uh, experience um, so Ken Wong and Monument Valley and now Us 2 in, uh, Ken Wong isn't part of Us 2 anymore right? but uh, Us 2 it always makes really cool games, I very much enjoyed Alba as well that came uh, out on, on Arcade as mm. well. Uh, for Gibbon, a big inspiration was the Alto series, so Alto's yes. Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Um, also cannibal like, I mean, I'm a big fan of Adam Atomic, uh, Adam Saltzman, mm. uh, also Rebecca Saltzman, uh, together they have, they have the Finji, they run Finji, a publisher that really Help great developers to make the best out of their ideas and their games. Um, and Cannibal was very inspirational for me, kind of the start of the Endless Runner and my love for Endless Runners. And so Alto series was also something I really got hooked into, but also something where I realized I was missing something, and I would want to like to change something or or at least do something with the formula of Endless Runner, which is given now basically. Um, uh, yes, another hero of developer, not so much for his games, but more for his knowledge that he shares within the community is Daniel Cook, Dan C. Cook. He has a company called Fox. During my studies, or during the first years of being indie, I've often read his blogs and, and uh, I still do read his tweets and always find it very Insightful, uh, what he has to say about not only game design but also business and indie biz, um, yeah. and these things. And then, like, from the games, like, one of my most inspir my most, my biggest, uh, inspiration is Eco or yep. Ico, mm. I know, whatever it's called. Yeah, I, I even named my first son Eco after that game, um, because it was the game that. It came at a special time for me. I think I was kind of like falling in love with being a game developer and like starting to get to know this kind of profession. And when I played Eco, I I realized that it's such an emotional thing that through game design, through gameplay, you can touch people deeply. And sometimes it's through very simple things, but if, if, if there's a whole like a gesamtkunstwerk. Is that an, I don't know if that's an English word. But like a whole, the whole thing is art, right? Like everything falls works together. All the pieces work together to create emotions in a player. And it's simple things like you hold your button so that Ego and Yorda hold hands, and if you release the button, they really, they let go. The way it was implemented, designed and implemented and executed was just so very touching. Um, that I realized that's kind of what I want to do is that like I want to touch people and players all over the world with my games in that kind of way. Um, that is not verbally. It's, it's not through language, right? It's, it's not through music alone. It's not through gameplay alone. It's just something that's very unique and special to games. And, and if you tell the story of eco, like if you put it into a story and write it into a book, it's just boring, right? Same as old man's journey. It's just not a good story. But if you, if you, well, it's not, it's not, not a good story, but it's a very simplistic story and it wouldn't have the same effect if it would be just a written story. But if you put it into a game and if you have all the aspects of the game work together, then it's more than the sum of its parts. Is that the proverb? Yeah, I think that's it, right? Like it just works together and comes together in a different way.
0: I think what you're saying here, and it's very profound in that, you can't, you shouldn't equate the storytelling of video games in the same way one would equate to other mediums. Um, It's just not fair. Not fair, but right. It's just, they're they're two, they do two different things. You not two different things, but you really hit the nail on the head because the nature in which you interact with the game tells the story as well. It's part of the experience.
1: It's part of the experience, exactly, yes.
0: Whereas yeah. for a book or a play or a, a, a film or what have you, you are just, say just, it's not, you know, but you are receiving this. And that's a different experience, and therefore the story has to be told in different ways. Indeed, storytelling, which is an extraordinary skill, it really is, to do it well. That it requires you to a little bit of empathy to be able to see the audience and understand what they find interesting, and also to expand on some aspects and not on others. Go and yeah. focus on certain details that are interesting that but will have context, not an immediate moment, but maybe later on. And lots of um, films and TVs that mess around with context a lot these days. And that's fine, yeah. but they, they can only do so much. They've been pushing the boundaries for hundreds, thousands of years, whereas video games have only had 50 years to do this.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, there's still a long way to go. Still but a long I way mean, to yeah, it's, it's getting better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shadow of the Colossus is also heralded as a, a another title you're right if you describe the story to someone like really isn't it bloody obvious what was going on
1: Yes, yes well, exactly <laughs> i mean but you haven't been there when the no. first colossus fell down because no. you stroke him down you yeah. stuck him down that's it the, di- that's di- different
0: that's on you yeah
1: yeah all
0: because of, well, I'm not going to go there, but it's, a, yeah, it's, it's an old game. I mean, there's a game that's been translated to three separate generations of machines now. So obviously, people do like that one. But uh, no, Ico, good shout. It's one of my favorite PS2 games. So yeah. um, I do like that platform. I think. I mean, uh, Shin of
1: the Colossus is also very great. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, last question of the first half. Here we are. Here you go. You made it. Here we go. What are you playing right now, Felix?
1: Uh, ooh, what do I play right now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't play anything anymore. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. It's like, I so I have three kids and I have a company and I try to develop games. And I spend a lot of time in front of computer screens during the day. Right. And messing with games and messing with technology. I usually am um, quite... I, I, yeah, I seldom pick up a game to wind down or experience or, or in my free time. I do, obviously. Like, um, so I did play with my kids. I played Switch, Switch sports because I've always right. been a big fan of Wii Sports. Wii sports I love Wii yeah. Sports. I played Wii Sports with my kids as well, but now we, we try on Switch, Switch sports. Um, and, Oh, and on my trip to, so I was at uh, WWDC, that's like the Apple Developer Conference uh, in San Francisco. Well, not in San Francisco, but in Silicon Valley, uh, two weeks ago or three. On my trip there, I played What Remains of Edith, Edith Finch. Right, right. Because I missed that. I've never played it. Uh, I always wanted to. It was good to play on a long flight. Um, a crazy story but also very well told like really nicely done i mm-hmm. think um also from the way it works together with being a game um and i played another game called a musical story um it's by french developers who i later met uh at this apple apple event um and I'm not very musical. I'm not very rhythmical. Um, so I had a bit of a hard time playing it, but I, I stuck with it because it's so beautiful. It's also a simple story, but it's also very, it's a love story set in the seventies music love story. Um, but it's, it's combined with rhythmical gameplay. That's really very. Well it works together again very very much and you and I really got the feeling that I I get more a better feeling for rhythm through it I'm playing it again uh, I played it again after I finished it because I wanted to know how much better I got and I was really way better at the end in hitting the notes it's basically it's like it's a simplified focused Risen game uh, with a really, with very beautiful visuals and a nice story, yeah, it, it's a great. I think it's out on all platforms, but it, yeah, I can totally recommend it. So you I always, do play some games.
0: You do there? There you go. See, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't expecting you to say, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm two hundred hours in on Elden Ring." No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so just, I, 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 you, I you skipped,
0: got your father for God's sake. Come on.
1: Yes, <laughs> I skipped that. Although I really want to play it. I so i i I the only game I played from software is demon souls um yeah. and i stopped it after an hour because it was just way too harsh for it's me too, it's um, too intense isn't it it's a bit intense too intense and yeah. and i was depressing i oh. just really didn't get get into this bad <laughs> mood thingy um but i i i know that those are really great games and uh, i guess Elden ring will finally be one of the, their games that I think I can enjoy because yeah. it's open world and because I can also just experience the world without going in for all the fights, or at least that's what I hope. No, um, it's true. You so, can. Uh, it doesn't
0: yeah. uh, punish you, really. It says, I don't know, do what you like. It's wonderful. Like, I don't, know. Yeah. don't I have to do this? No. I mean, there's lots of commentators that tell you, you should be doing this, this, this. Shut up shut up
1: let me just just experience this is my sand
0: this is my sandbox not yours you made you made a three turrets on your castle i made a mound with a little skull on top so shut up (laughs) you know and and that's that's basically how i see it so uh, yeah
1: Yeah, i do want to pick it up at some point for sure because i'm i i feel i should play it as it's been Loaded, lo, loaded, is The word, yeah, it's a word. Yeah, that that's
0: a right word. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, so
1: much. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh,
0: it's an important game. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the end of the first half. Well done. More. Let's uh, move on to the second half of the show, where we it's shall delve deep into Gibbon beyond the trees. So, Felix, before we do this, we need to know what it is. The listener needs to know what Gibbon Beyond the Trees is. So, please, in your own words, best of luck. (laughs) What is Gibbon Beyond the Trees?
1: So, Gibbon Beyond the Trees is a hopeful game about the beauty of wilderness and the destructive force of human civilization. Um, And in it, well, it takes the viewpoint of, of a gibbon And you play this gibbon through a Southeast Asian jungle that's actually procedurally generated. Well, kind of. Um, But as it's been inspired by Endless Runners, that's kind of where it comes from. But so you swing with your gibbon through this jungle. And while you swing through the jungle, we try to tell this, tell a story about deforestation, habitat loss, uh, poaching, and and kind of like emotionally guide our players to reflect on serious real world issues uh, and show them the problems that given face. we do try to not be too preachy about this so it really is a game first first and it's first really about getting into a flow state getting into this flow based rhythm um, of uh, of swinging and jumping um, and backflipping, which gibbons don't do, right? But uh, well, that's our creative freedom, I guess, that we took um, and get into this flow of the game, and then we tell the story all without words, without ever interrupting this kind of flow-based state. There are cutscenes, but in these short cutscenes, we the camera keeps on moving basically that's the one thing that goes all the way through uh but the environment changes around you and that's how we try to build awareness for uh the problems gibbons face not yeah. only gibbons actually it's about wildlife in general wildlife. We yeah. to, to gibbon but it's about wildlife in ch- general because more and more of their habitat is uh, being destroyed by humans.
0: Mm. And I can definitely see the inspiration of Altos Adventure. They've been on the show. Um nice. and uh, one, wonderful um, Harry
1: Harry Nesbitt. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And um also Cannibal. I do, I do love telling the story that Cannibal was eventually trans uh, was ported to the Commodore 64. I can't believe they did that, but they oh, do. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I missed, uh... <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, how did. did you... And I can see it. You can see it, right? It's not quite as fast as, you yeah. you know, but, it's, you know, it's... it's Yeah. They've it done Super Hexagon on the Commodore 64 as well. It's like,
1: yeah. wow. It's
0: right? just yeah. like, how did you do this? Anyway, separate issue. I want to talk about the camera, because you made mention of camera in Gibbon Beyond the Trees. And... For me, it's really, really important in informing the player where they're going. Because the one thing about Infinite Runners is you're not looking at where you are because that's too late. You're looking True. at where you're going. And I just want to ask you, how have you found managing the camera in the development of Gibbon Beyond the Trees? Because uh, there's some lots of clever things you're doing. Of It's quite dynamic. It's not static at all in that it zooms in and out, it pans out to... How have you found working with that, making sure it doesn't go out of control?
1: Well, it was (laughs) a bit of a pain pain in the ass, to be honest. Um, It was definitely a long... It was a problem that was always with us. And I have to say, I'm not 100% content with it. I would have loved it to be... I don't know really what, maybe a bit smoother. But anyway, we've we've we put a lot of thought in it and a lot of work. Um and one of the first realizations we had is that we're not looking at your character, right? It's in most of our other games we did before the character was always center, uh center stage. But for Gibbon it soon was clear that we have to look at because also because Gibbon is quite a uh fast game. Um which um, makes it obviously also a bit harder, not only like gameplay-wise, but also to tell a story. Uh, I, it's one of the challenges we like, though. It's like you know, how can you make something inspired by an Endless Runner or being so much about flow-based movement system, and combine that with telling a story? That that's the design challenge we we really liked. Um, um So yeah, and camera is definitely a big part of it. We. So the first thing we did is move it up ahead and have it look uh, ahead. But then there are things we want the player to focus on, and that's when we start moving the camera uh, towards certain points, points of interest. We call them points of interest. Um, this is also actually this is coming from another game. Uh, no, I forgot it in It's we've already used the system like that for Secrets of Reticon back in 2014. And there was a game that I forgot now what it's called, but anyway, so it's not our it's not our uh, invention. Um, This concept of having points of interest that the camera gets pulled towards, right, Um, right, um, and that all all basically the character is also a point of interest in the end. So all these points of interest that get mixed together, they're weighted. by the distance, um, but also by a uh, specific weight that you give it before. And then the camera, ca- the computer calculates the right uh, position the camera should have and the right, uh, which includes zoom, right? Because uh, that's just uh, moving the camera backwards. Um, Given it's a 3D game, it, it like it's a 2D, the gameplay is 2D, but the world is 3D and we yeah. use a perspective camera. Um, so, yeah, uh, and once we had this poise, this point of interest, uh, we started adding them more and more. At first, at the chasms, um, we also used them to announce chasms. So, in Gibbon, you usually can, there's usually not much danger. Uh, so, at first, when you start playing Gibbon, you're in this beautiful jungle, beautiful, lush jungle um and you learn how to play like a gibbon and well how to play our game then move like a given but it's more you learn how to play our game um and you really start to enjoy this uh, movement system and the worst thing that can happen to you is that you fall to the floor and just from there you can just jump back into the trees you want to be in the trees because in the trees you can move uh, the best gibbons are usually only in the trees they almost never touch the ground um so uh, but so the first kind of like fail conditions, the first obstacles really are chasms that you have to jump over. Um, so, yeah, yeah. To tell players that a chasm is coming ahead, we're zooming out. Like it's the first time we really start zooming out a lot, we do also zoom out for speed, but uh, it's a notice- noticeable zoom that we use to tell players that there's a fail condition coming up. Um, so, yeah. The camera has the role of showing you where to go showing you telling you the story in the sense that it's showing you um interesting points of interest interesting objects stuff that happens in the background maybe stuff that happens on the floor by pulling down um and it's uh also um I think it's called telemetry. Well, it's also telling you about things you need to know uh, for the gameplay. It's also announcing the gameplay. Mm. And at the same time, trying not to make you dizzy, right? So we did have implementations where the camera was moving quite quickly um, because we were like, oh man, the game is so quick. We have to quickly move there, but then move back to the given. But yeah, it goes, it, it, it very quickly gets way too dizzying. Um, so we started smoothing everything down, not going too extreme in in these things, so that everything kind of goes with this flow of movement, but there are subtle changes in zoom and positioning
0: yeah well, I got a related question to that to the movement Go ahead. um so the movement of the gibbon itself is akin to what they how they actually move, so tell me how much of the research that you did on the movement of gibbons and that the way they behave has informed gibbon beyond the trees versus you've already admitted to some artistic license and them doing somersaults, which they just don't do because they don't need to. But you have introduced it here because why not? Every gibbon really is deep down Tony Hawk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but, what they actually want.
0: That's what they want to do if they knew how. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a cool idea. Why don't we do that? Um, but beyond that, um, pun intended. What are they? What, 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 how much is you studying their their uh, behaviour has informed the creation of Gibbon Beyond the Trees?
1: So, the first time uh, I thought about making a game for gibbons was about a year after Open's Journey. And I did a prototype with my colleague Peter, who's kind of like our low-level physics programmer um, in a team. And we soon put that prototype back into the draw. And the main reason was because we tried too much to simulate uh, their movement and we tried too much to i give the player to fine control. Basically, they were controlling every handle. Right. Um, you basically so tried quop. <laughs> yes, it was a bit quop-like. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, uh, so we, we kind of shelved it. Um, and then at some point, Apple told us about Arcade, and we were like, oh, maybe given could be an interesting project for Arcade. Um, so so we, we took it back out and, um, then I sat together with Clemens, uh, Clemens Scott, who was art director on Old Mass Journey and really like co, co designer vision key. We call it kind of vision keeper in our company, like the people that develop a vision for what the product should be at the end, what the game should be at the end and okay. also trying to make the decisions during the development that we actually end up with. A product that is alike to yeah, yeah. or at least um at least at the core principle of the vision so basically Clemens and i said together again and looked took a hard look at at gibbon at the, the prototype we did but also about what is it that we actually like about gibbons um and because good games are well, good games i there are good games that are simulations but I think most games or the games that I find interesting are not so much about simulation, they're an abstraction of the real world, right? They simplify stuff. Um but they give you the same feeling, or at least the feeling that we would expect from it. Um so we really focused on what is it what we really like about gibbons and what is it what we find cool and what we want our players to experience. And that was the speed of their Swinging, which is called brachiation. Um, and the jumping, like, especially I always, when I watch Given videos the greatest, coolest thing they do is they leap from one tree to the next really far. Like they go up to 50 kilometers per hour and yeah. jump. I forgot how far they jump, but they can <laughs> jump really far. Um, and it looks great when they land in the, in the trees, in the canopies of the trees and, um, These moments were what we focused on. And Clemens, who is really great at all this focusing stuff and abstracting it, kind of like pushed us towards not controlling every handhold, but uh, making, simplifying the input scheme and basically making it about the moment of jumping. So. So for brachiation, the gibbons just do it intuitively, right? They know how to do it. They just do it. All you, you what you have to do is you have to hold down, which is something. So to play gibbon, you have to hold down the button so that your gibbon on screen interacts with the world. They hold on to branches and swing onto branches or they run on branches. Um, if you hold down two fingers on a screen or two buttons. Um, and to jump, you have to release, which is a bit inverted, right? Like a lot of players who, a lot of gamers, especially during our playtest sessions, we did quite a few playtest sessions and a lot of gamers had a hard time getting into it because what they're used to is that you press a button to jump. Like you control the moment to jump by pressing down a button, um, but, but for Gibbon, it's the other way around. You press the button to keep moving, to keep recreating. And you release at the right moment the jump, which is again skateboarding thing, right? It's ollie, ollie, and skate.
0: And yeah, I know. was used to. I mean, we've had ollie, ollie, on the, yeah. roll seven on the show many times. They've actually they've been, they were on for ollie, ollie world recently. So
1: yeah, ollie, ollie world is also a game I played with my yeah. kids, which was really great. It's yeah. a really
0: fun game. And I've, I was so, used to that 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 yeah. dynamic of saying, no, the interaction is different. You're you're it's you're, you're, you're yeah. triggering the movement. Yes, uh, you're yeah. not. You know, you're not reacting to the movement. You're creating it. And that's, yeah. that's really
1: that's well. That's and it. that, and basically deciding on this move input scheme allowed us to let the computer simulation take care of the swinging and put it into a nice and smooth movement. And that's where the real brecciation, the real way—how gibbons swing really comes in, and there's surprisingly quite a few papers on how gibbons swing because it's a very unique movement. So brachiation is something only apes can do, but gibbons do it best. Um, other monkeys still do it. Uh, I mean, they aren't swing, they but easy? not 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 in a brecciation way. Yeah, they are monkeys, aren't they? And not apes. Uh,
0: no, um, gibbons yeah. are apes. Gibbons they are, apes. are apes. sorry, they
1: are one of their yeah they don't have oh, a tail
0: don't have a they tail go they don't have a tail, tail
1: and they're very close genetically to humans um yeah, yeah, yeah. poached gibbons by the way we learned that as well poached gibbons very quickly adapt to human life they start drinking beer and smoking cigarettes if they're kept in in a well if they're captive if their captivators just, just put them in a room at night and start drinking beer next to them they start drinking beer themselves um, which is obviously bad for them, but it's mm. also kind of like a sign for how, how close they are to us humans. Right. Okay. Um, that they really quickly learn from their captors and adapt to them and imitate them and mm. uh, do the same thing. So, um, but that's another research. So first, the Um, um, and it's, uh, and it started with, uh, we worked with David Rosen, who is developer of, uh, Overgrowth, uh, in the, uh, his, his studio is called Woolfire. You might know him because he sued Steam, uh, <laughs> a, a, a few months ago, like he sued Wolf, um, uh, for monopolistic practices. Mm. Um, but David Rosen is a expert on procedural animation. Um, and he basically made us a prototype of a swimming given 3D given in six weeks, which is amazing. Um, which was very close to what we have now. It's simplified. Um, but it's very close. This was when we got this prototype back, we were like, okay, we can do this game because before that we were always like, ah, this will be too difficult. How yeah. will we make this? You can't do co-op. co not going to work. Yeah. You can't do co-op exactly. Yeah. It needs to look elegant. It needs, it needs to be. Effortless, need to look effortless. Um, and based on this prototype, we then worked together with um, a Canadian programmer called uh, Eddie Boxerman. He's uh, mm-hmm. also an independent developer. His company is called Hemisphere Games. He did a game called Osmos, which was big on the App Store in 2010. It's a game where it also was on Steam. You basically, you you, you control bubbles and smaller bubbles. You eat the smaller bubbles and grow. And the bigger you are, the more bubbles you can eat, right? Um, it's an amazing game, a uh, really great game. And he's an amazing programmer. Uh, he has an animation background. And in the end, it was really Eddie kind of co-designed the movement together with me as he was in Canada, different time zone. We spent a lot of evenings, uh, on long calls and then he developed stuff. And in the morning, the next morning, I could test it out, tweak it a bit, give feedback. Um, and we got in a re- really nice flow, and well he also just did amazing work of of uh, making it look elegant and effortless while in the in reality there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, and the gibbons of our game actually think a lot while well, think it's not AI, right, but there's a lot of context that they take into account, and players give input and they do the right thing. Um, they finish uh, swings and so on. And then yeah. obviously making it all smooth and look almost as elegant as real Gibbons. Out there.
0: Yeah, it is. I love the way they interact with each other and like assist. <laughs> That's also
1: so amazing. So I was, there was like, I told Eddie, you know what? So we always had the plan of a friend right. because of the story mode. Um, only later it turned into more of a family, also yeah, because yeah. of yeah. what we learned from NGOs when talking to NGOs. But we wanted them to bond, right? And and I I mean, that's the Ico influence inspiration. You can probably see it here, right? Like we, if we wanted an NPC, there another uh, character. We wanted those to bond, and that was really the relationship was really important. That yellow is there to help and guide pink. So one given is pink. So the main given is pink. We call them pink. Yeah, the other given guardian is yellow, so we call them yellow. And then there's a given baby, it's called lilac because it has the color lilac. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have colors, so we can always see them on screen, even if they're small dots, even if the camera's inside. So um, but so, and I told Eddie, you know, it'd be really cool if the, if yellow could throw pink. And I, I kind of like, I just wanted to say it because I thought it's a great idea, but I, I never expected it to work. And a few days later, Eddie had the first prototype from it, and it was amazing. And I still find it so... I still love it when it happens at the right moment. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful moment. And um, I find it amazing that Eddie was able to actually execute implement that yeah, yeah. thing. So,
0: my next question, and you already hinted at this already, but I want to expand on it now. The sense of yes. danger to the player in Gibbon Beyond the Trees is slowly increased yeah. rather than presented at maximum from the outset. I mean, cannibal for example, as soon as you smash through the window of the building, you're probably going to die. You know, yes. it's this constant sense of danger. That's what keeps you going, I guess. Whereas in yeah. Gibbon, Beyond the Trees, there's less of that initially. Uh, trust me, later on it gets quite quite hairy, extremely so. Um what? Why? Why did you have a slow, gradual increase? Was it narrative driven or is it just to is it because the to ensure the player had comfort? Because I think that's it really, because it is an unusual movement, isn't it?
1: Well, one thing is really that we wanted to give we wanted to give the player we wanted the player to enjoy. Sorry, that's my phone. I'm going to stop it. Here go. All right. So we really wanted to, the player to enjoy the channel um, because we want our players to appreciate the channel and to feel for it and to get a feeling for how great the, the wilderness of the channel is. Um, and, but also with our first playtests we noticed that our control scheme is something that takes time to get into. So that definitely also um, extended the first part or the onboarding phase. Mm. Um, we want to give players also more uh, time to really get into it. But it's it was always intended that we that at first the first experience is a very positive, very well flow based, maybe a little bit meditative. Really very beautiful, lush world that you just want to spend time in. Um, because then when we start taking it away from the players, the impact is just stronger. Um, and we can use not only like visuals of showing how kind of sad it is to destroy these jungles. Um, but also from a gameplay wise. Because the players lose something, they lose their playground. They lose this the the, the big trees, the emergent trees that they can jump off and soar off in the air, which they enjoyed for the first quarter of the game or or third of the game. And some and once it's gone, the impact we think, but it's also what we heard from many players, the impact of Suddenly, being in this wasteland of a destroyed jungle is just really stronger. Um, another, so that these are really the main part, main uh, parts. One other thing that kind of supports this is that we want to make. Well, we we did not want to make, like a. The Greenpeace game, right? We did not want to make a game that immediately has this flavor of being preachy and telling you what you're doing wrong and, um, you know, waggling with your index finger, basically. Yeah, we yeah. want to make a game first. Like, I I always like the first, I always want to make a game for the game's sake, um, yes. la, 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 but the game for a game, um and and so it was always for us always clear that we really wanted that to stick at first that we want our players to get into the game because they want to enjoy the movement and the flow-based system and then raise their well raise the awareness um or then basically show them the problems that happen in 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 this world we did turn this around a bit later on like in our pr work we realized that actually this ecological viewpoint is a unique aspect of the game and it's also an important aspect. Yeah. Um, so we did now during our awareness or when we talk about the game, we always definitely tell And it's now, it's called an ecological adventure, uh, on it, on the episode, for example. So, so we now do very, very at the very first. Moment, tell you that it is about ecological issues and habitat is loss, but that wasn't always the intention. Um, but, like, from the game, if you never heard of the game and you started, it's really about showing you the beauty of this lush jungle mm. and then taking it away from you.
0: Yeah, speaking of the environment, it's almost as yeah. if I designed it best with this question, is this way?
1: <laughs> but the
0: environment in Given Beyond the Trees is very vibrant, not only in terms of color and con contrast that's great you although you didn't do sega blue because that wouldn't work but you did definitely focus on contrasts and but movement it moves it's very dynamic it's constantly swaying and moving around yeah and i have to ask the question how did this impact the movement of the gibbon itself because as the gibbon sort of goes along the branches when they're quite thin and they do bounce yeah. and fluctuate a lot, which can impact on when you let go and how much momentum you get from flying. So how have you found that influenced the design of the movement of the gibbon itself?
1: Well, there is, there is a bit of a feedback system going on, that's true. So that when the gibbon lands on a branch, it bends the branch. And obviously that changes the position of uh, the gibbon. We did try to mitigate a lot of momentum changes from that though. So we do adapt um, the position for sure, because otherwise it would look awkward. But we try to keep the momentum unrealistically alive. In a sense, uh, um, I think uh, for some of the things that happens in game, in real life, Gibbons would slow down way more or even stop. Um, but we always wanted to have this right left movement, um, and the momentum and keep the momentum going. So Eddie is doing quite a few tricks, uh, behind the scene to keep the momentum, to update the positions accordingly through the bends, but keep the momentum. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think like it, the ear- earliest prototypes did not have these kind of movements and it always felt quite stiff, hmm. but we, we, it was clear that we needed these kind of uh bends and and deformability of our environment it just makes it so much more alive yeah and then then we added um like our canopies although those are kind of like blobs they're abstracted right you don't see each individual no. leaf no you don't, but no. but they move along the textures in them moves along there's even some kind of little slow wind so they're moving to slow wind. And then to make it all come alive, we add additional animals, smaller animals that fly around, um, and obviously mood, like weather and daytime to make it all varied. Um, and that was really important to create this lush jungle because we were constrained a bit in the way we designed it, mainly because we wanted it to be readable, right? Gibbon is a very fast-paced game. And you need to know what you can hold on and what not. And that that stands in contrast to a very chaotic organic jungle that is super like you don't see much in a jungle, right? It's just a big blur of green and brown and and, and stuff. But we needed clear platforms in a sense, um and a clear way to make elements that are traversable readable. Um and Catherine Anger, who did the art direction of Gibbon, Um, she's uh, based in London, and um she did the art direction. She worked together with a colleague in London called Kit Burn, and the two of them basically were our art department in London. Um, uh, well, and Catherine Anger thought long and hard about how to make this work, to make it look organic, make it feel lush, um, and at the same time, Keep it readable for the players, and came up with guidelines and rule set. And Kit then made built this all. She's like the environmental artist. She built this all together in uh, Unity. Uh, we made we do have um, quite a lot of our own in house tool rendering tools. So we try to make everything that it can be built directly in Unity. So so obviously Kit and Catherine Drews. Uh, do like in Photoshop or whatever on their computer some textures or sprites but all the trees and houses and all this stuff is actually built in unity with splines and Stefan our graphic uh, artist uh, graphic programmer made the tools that basically generates meshes and places sprites along these paths and generates um, these trees that are partly 3D, but look very illustra- illustrative, uh, illustrative. um Yes. And so we noticed at the beginning also that while it looked good, it still didn't feel very much alive. So we tried to add a lot of movement as much as possible. Vines, right, that swing along. Yeah. Butterflies and birds that fly off yeah, if you yeah, land. Yeah, all and, that stuff.
0: And, yeah, just like, again, cannibal. There you go.
1: <laughs> yes, obviously the birds are cannibal. We birds. do have a cannibal achievement in our game.
0: Nice. I you've noticed it. No, yes. I, not fairly, not. There's I don't a really...
1: crane there's a crane in town. If you make yes. it all the way on top, you, right, can, you, you can get a cannibal.
0: Nice. Well Gibbon Beyond the Trees is developed by Broken Rules. Great name. By the way. Thank you. Where, where Where's it come from? Is it just, that's it? Is that what you do? Break- that's it.
1: That's all we do. <laughs> uh, we're punks. We're a punks. <laughs> no. Um, no. It, well, it kind of. Well, it, yeah, comes from, it comes from one very important thing we learned when we did our game design final project at University of Technology was to learn to build constraints and mm-hmm. build a rule set up ahead but to also always be ready to kill your darling.
0: So oh, yes. Yes.
1: A lot of times you build this rule set in the yeah. in the beginning, and you have this picture in your mind, and you think this is how it's going to be. But then when you test it, and obviously this kind of comes back to play testing also as well, right? Yeah. Once you start testing it and pu- putting it into people's hands, you realize that some of these things aren't as great as you thought. Yeah. So it's really very much about breaking your own rules. So
0: nice. making
1: your rules and then always being ready to let go of them if they prove to be wrong. And that's why we kind of hold ourselves rules. obviously then there's also the punk aspect and then rules are very important for games, right? Like yeah, it's a very yeah, important yeah. part of all games and Yes, and we were young, and we thought, well, it's all kind of horrible yeah, yeah, yeah. so maybe broken, so and so on but the the more serious thing is the thing I said for yeah. first, and that it was a big inspiration. Basically, it's to yeah. remind us to, make, yeah. to to not take our own rules always yeah. at full value and be yeah. ready to break them yeah. if necessary
0: yeah. the creative process is destructive it
1: <laughs> can, yes, it can be no not only, but it can yeah, be there's there's yeah. spaces where you just have to cut stuff away yeah, yeah. and then you build upon that what is B- what? going on yeah. coming back to daniel cook yeah, daniel cook has a great graphic of that i think he calls it the snake eating tenable tennis balls <laughs> and it's basically like you branch off you you prototype you experiment you build and then you enter the phase fa- enter the phase where you cut stuff where yeah. you all it down and focus it again and then you back down and then up again. And then you go, you branch out again. You build on top, you experiment, and you do yeah. that iteratively until you're at the product you want you to be. want to be, want to dissociate <laughs> yourself with.
0: And, yeah, given beyond the, stars, uh, beyond the Stars, Beyond the Trees, Beyond the Stars. Beyond the Stars, that's yeah, part that's, two. That's part space two. Given. <laughs> <Yes>. Space Given. Space Given. This is the best. I love planetary uh, planetary and uh And... <laughs> Uh um, it's it's so sorry, sorry. Uh, and it's available on what platforms Felix
1: So it's out on Apple Arcade um on Steam and itch.io for Mac and mm-hmm. Windows and on Nintendo Switch
0: Yeah and it works on the Steam Deck everyone I, I can vouch for that it totally does yes. Um it's a great game and uh Felix you've been a fantastic guest <gasps> Thank you Yeah really really informative chat about the development of Given beyond the trees, and um, more than welcome to come back to chat about what. Yes, I
1: mean, I want to thank you as well for the great questions because, right, you can be a great guest if you get the right questions. So definitely, thank thank you you for preparing and thinking of the right things to
0: ask. Um, I I appreciate it. They do take quite a while to compose, I can assure you. (laughs) Um, But um, no, again, come back. And we're next. You got brewing in your brain. Uh, or okay. Collective Brains. But in the meantime,
1: thank you very, very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash canaan and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, tainermintz.com